Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Today I'm interviewing Tracy Schmidt. Tracy is the founder and principal of Socially Authentic. She's a journalist by training. She's worked for the nation's largest media companies as a reporter, innovator, and social media strategist. Uh, she has. She was the youngest journalist at Time Magazine. She's covered the rise of Facebook, and she's just an amazing, uh, well-connected person. And I think we're going to learn a heck of a lot from her today. And so, welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. So, talk a little bit about how you got. So, you were the youngest journalist at Time. Talk about your background a little bit and how that happened, because I think that that's interesting, very interesting, and probably will be for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I joined Time Magazine when I was 21 years old in 2006. Uh, I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago, and as a high school student, I wrote a letter to the editor asking to write a column for the suburban newspapers, which was called Pioneer Press. And I ended up writing a column for three years called Teen Talk, which was in a bunch of suburban newspapers. And I got the journalism bug, and in college, I just couldn't stop interning. So I had seven internships in college. Uh, one of them was at Time Magazine, actually, and I was a pretty feisty intern. Um, I think there probably were moments where they probably should have fired me for being so outspoken. <laughs> Instead, at the end of my semester, uh, one of my editors was just like, you're great, uh, call us when you graduate. And I ended up going to grad school at the University of Illinois to study journalism, and my editor, Jay Carney, I uh, just said, hey, we need you to come back. You know, this whole web thing is happening, and we really need someone like you in the bureau in Washington. So I uh, kind of dropped out of grad school, finished from D.C., actually, and joined Time Magazine uh, in 2006. Wow. So it's from Teen Talk to Time Magazine and everything in between, um, <laughs> you know, when you got your uh, – when you started getting into journalism and doing this – what was what was so interesting about it uh, that you wanted to continue to do that? Was it the things you were finding out and discovering that then you could share? Or talk a little bit about why journalism was interesting for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly it. You know, I just loved finding out what people were thinking about and talking about culturally or in the community and figuring out where were their trends that hadn't been reported on and, and could I write about them. So when I got to Time, actually, Jay said to me, you know, write about whatever you're interested in because ultimately we need to reach younger readers. And if you're interested in it, chances are our younger readers will be interested in it too. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was looking on Facebook and when I was newly there, figuring out what my friends were talking about and being like, is that a story idea? Is that a story idea? And, you know, a few times they were. And I ended up scooping the New York Times because, you know, I was just paying attention to what 21-year-olds were talking about on Facebook. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It was interesting, too, because what ended up happening was I developed a beat on Facebook. So my editors were always being like, why are you spending so much time on Facebook? Because at the time, it was only open to college students. It wasn't open beyond that. So they had no idea what the site was. And when Facebook introduced the news feed in 2006, I was one of the only reporters to write about it. Uh, and it was quite a controversy. And Facebook ended up rolling back the news feed to kind of figure out how to make it more appealing to their users. And then what ended up happening was I ended up using Facebook during breaking news stories to find eyewitnesses. Um, and most famously, the one I did was uh, Virginia Tech. I covered the shootings there and was one of the first journalists in the world to figure out how to use social media during a breaking news story. Wow. Wow. Amazing. 
Um, You know, and I think it's true to have your finger on the pulse of what the readers are thinking. And I think that uh, it's one of the things like, you know, Twitter was really big with, um, well, Facebook was really big with the the young, um, with young kids. And then all of a sudden they weren't on Facebook anymore, but the older people didn't know that they were like, Oh yeah, they're still there. No, they would post a couple of pictures and they were really Mm -hmm. off on Twitter at that time. And then they moved to Instagram, but the, the, you know, it's to, you have to be there to know what's happening. And if you don't have a kid that age, and if you're not actually participating, you don't know. And you keep thinking, well, they're all here or they're all there when it's really not true. So it's even beyond just um, being involved in the beginning and no one knowing about it, but it's constantly staying in touch with what's actually happening uh, with, with trends. Yes, absolutely. And it's hard to keep up with it. Uh, social media is changing so much so quickly that even I struggle with it. Uh, I decided to start writing a newsletter called the Sunday Night Memo every Sunday night to help just my clients and peers keep up with all the changes on social media. And it's a very popular newsletter now because, you know, we keep it short and simple and, you know, Instagram did this, Snapchat did that, this campaign was really a big deal, you need to know about this. You know, the goal of the newsletter is for typical business people, not typically marketers, but anybody, because whether you're in the C-suite or HR or sales, you need to know social media now. So our goal is to just create a great newsletter that will help everybody keep up with it. So talk a little bit about socially authentic. And by the way, um, Sunday Night Memo sounds like something that I should be and, uh, and probably everybody uh, should be should be listening in or uh, subscribing to. Um, but talk a little bit about socially authentic and uh, what that is and, and what you do in your position. Yeah, absolutely. So Socially Authentic is me right now. Uh, it is a social media education consultancy. So what I do is I help both business people and brands understand how to use social media more effectively to achieve their goals. So the backstory is after I left Time Magazine, I created a network of blogs in, tri- in Chicago called Chicago Now, and then went on to teach many social media classes um, all over the country through the Tribune and then also now at the University of Chicago. And everywhere I went, I've taught thousands of people, and I just realized it's still so hard to keep up with social media. And, you know, if a business person doesn't understand how to use it, it can actually be detrimental to their career. You know, they might get passed over for a promotion. They might feel that they're not, you know, keeping up with the younger employees in their company. They might be losing out competitively. But it's a real challenge to, you know, find somebody that can teach you how to use social media because you don't want to necessarily go to your CMO or your colleagues and admit you don't know something. Um, So I created this with that actual pain point in mind of, I need to understand social media. I don't necessarily want other people to find out that I don't know these things, or I need somebody that I can call and just ask these questions uh, that I have. So what I do is I do private social media coaching for executives and, and entrepreneurs. I also do social media training seminars for organizations, and then I do social media strategy design for brands as well. Interesting. Very interesting and, and so needed. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head with there's a, there's a lot of people who are CMOs of companies and they're responsible for their social strategy, yet they're not using it in the same way. And on the other hand, you've got somebody who's young and knows all about social media, but do they know about strategy, you know? And so it's kind mm-hmm. of marrying those two together. But I think what you're, what you're talking about, what your company does is really, really necessary um, and valuable. 
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've been overwhelmed with business since I launched the company about 16 months ago. And I do work with other consultants, so I will sometimes bring on other partners to help with larger projects. But the question I'm facing now as an entrepreneur is, you know, do I scale by hiring other people? What, how does this start to grow? Because the demand is just increasing as more people find out about what I do. Yeah, scaling is a is a very difficult thing as an entrepreneur because you you want to you want to grow, but then you go, but what if what if this or what if that? And I know it's a it's a very difficult thing. We've staffed up and staffed down many times at my firm, Red Zone Marketing, and it's been you know it's 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 interesting. And you sometimes you make the right call and sometimes you don't. But um, yeah, so w- what do you think in your in your career? Um, that the biggest surprise has been so far? Maybe it's been uh, the story you covered or something, but just something that's that was so surprising to you. Yeah, you know, well, honestly, I mean, I thought at 32 I would be a foreign correspondent for Time Magazine, but the journalism industry imploded in 2009, and tens of thousands of journalists were laid off, and those jobs are never coming back, and most foreign bureaus have closed as well. So that is pretty much just not an available career option. And so really my career in the last 10 years has just been really kind of pivoting and pivoting and pivoting because it was first, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be a reporter, you know, as I thought I would. And then it was, can we create viable business plans or business um, entities inside large media companies? And that's proving pretty difficult just because of the collapse of traditional media business models. Uh, And so then I ended up launching my own consulting business now, uh, which I never expected to do, but it's going growing so quickly um, I think the biggest surprise is just this is nowhere near what I thought I'd be doing but I love it and um, I think it's really exciting to see what this could grow into yeah I, I think it is um, I think it's amazing and I think yeah surprising you know that that an industry that was just a, one of the common industries that we have is just almost completely gone in the way that we thought before and um, that, that certainly can be surprising. Um, so I have a question for you. I know you teach at the university of Chicago and you talk about teaching at other, um, uh, organizations, uh, as well. What do you teach on? So what are some of the topics and what are you teaching the young people who are going through college that are already, uh, you know, understanding social media? So what are you talking about to them? Yeah, actually, I'm teaching uh, graduate students largely. So I'm currently teaching in the Graham School, which is the School of Continuing Studies. So it's a lot of students that are about to go get their MBA at University of Chicago or other schools. So they're typically in their late 20s into their 30s and 40s. Uh, And for them, what I teach them is how to design a social media strategy. So the class is just, you know, beginning to end. How do you work with a client? So we have four pro bono clients each quarter, and the students are matched with the client. And they have to start, just like you would as a client, you know, interview the client, figure out what their goals are, what their available resources are, what their end game is, and then figure, and then do research on, you know, their competitive set in their space, and then figure out what are the best social media marketing tactics these clients should be using to achieve their goals. And then ultimately, how many resources do they have, how much money do they have, you know, how many staff do they have to design a, a strategy that aligned with their goals, their culture of their business, and their available resources as well. So that by the end of four and a half weeks, the students can then, you know, work with a client and essentially repeat that process with a new client as well. And the client then receives essentially a 60-page strategic document outlining everything from competitive analysis to target audience online behavior to recommendations for channel tactics to a playbook. Uh, for social media as well as a crisis plan and then goals as well. 
Wow. Um, sounds like it's really valuable both for the students and for the company. Uh, and what's next? Sort of, is, is that just going to continue the way you're doing it now? Or what are you thinking about next to be able to do with, uh, with your students? Yeah, you know, I'm actually, you've seen I are trying to sort of sort that out right now. We were, I was meeting with one of their administrators to say, you know what, these students are learning social media, but there's so many other aspects of marketing that they really need to learn the latest tactics on. So SEO, content marketing, you know, UX design, um, all these different facets that all appeal or apply to marketing now, they need to know the latest tactics in order to stay competitive in the field. So we're looking at what that looks like as well. Yeah, and that, that's what I was asking because I'm, I'm wondering myself, like, what should I be doing next? You know, what, what should we be doing yeah. next? But, uh, I, yeah. should, I should say just going, adding on to that, um, one of my good friends is a top leading uh, digital strategist for an agency here in town. And, you know, he and I were just having coffee a couple days ago. And, you know, he calls himself a futurist, as do I. And so what we're starting to think about really is, okay, now that virtual reality is going to be a really big thing in the next couple of years, how do we design for that? How do we plan for that? How do we start to think about, you know, the Internet of Things coming into our houses and into our cars and into our offices? How can we design for that? How do we start to think about AI and what that's going to look like in the next two to five years about implants? All these things are really just a couple of years away, and we need to first, as marketers, understand what they are, understand, you know, their potential and also the risk of using them. And then how do we apply that into our businesses as well? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the, the idea of a futurist is so valuable right now. And there's always been futurists out there. And usually they're, they're backed in, in research and statistics. It's not just they're, you know, thinking that this might happen, but it's backed in all of this research. And here's what we're seeing. And here's why we think it's going to be this way. Are you guys conducting any research um, about, you know, the usage of, of these sorts of things and, and what you think might happen next? Uh, I know that he is. Um, you know, it's something I'm just reading a lot about. And as I think about the future of socially authentic, kind of what I've been thinking a lot about is how do we educate business people on the latest trends in marketing or technology or the combination thereof? I mean, right now it's everybody needs to understand social media because social media has mass adoption. But is everybody going to need to know virtual reality or wearables in the next two years? Probably. And what comes after that? So as an educator, I'm thinking about, okay, what's next? What are people going to need to know to learn in 2017 or 2018? And how can I start to design curriculum that applies to where they are and what they ultimately need to know? Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make, uh, companies, business people make in social media today? And that might be kind of a big question, but what do you think is the biggest <laughs> mistake that, that is kind of across the board or that you see commonly? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake is not being aware of how much of your information is public. So the most famous or infamous uh, example is Instagram. So when you geotag your location on Instagram, what that's doing is giving Instagram permission to track everything that you do on Instagram. So if you post a photo from your house, that will be geotagged on your profile and is publicly available to anybody that can find your Instagram. I had a client that is the CEO of a pretty well-known company, uh, and I just happened to look at his Instagram one day, and I realized uh, your entire life is easily findable on Instagram. And he had photos of his daughter at home, and he had no idea that this was available. So fortunately, we were able to remove it and hide it, but most people don't even know that the security flaw exists on Instagram. 
Wow. Is there a similar thing on Facebook? Not as much. Um, so Facebook, you know, you can make your profile close and it's not going to show it in the way that Instagram does. Of course, Instagram is owned by Facebook. Um, but Facebook itself doesn't have that flaw that Instagram does. Hmm, that is, that's interesting because yeah, people do that all the time. And I, you know, I see people that um, post all the time on, you know, I'm, I'm here in this city, I'm in that city and I travel a lot and I don't do that kind of posting because I'm not sure that I want people to know where I'm at all the time, just because I just don't think I want people to know. I mean, I want them to know that, you know, some of the big things we're doing, but every movement, I'm not sure. I'm in Seattle, I'm in Portland, I'm in Chicago, I'm in, you know, Los Angeles. I, I don't think that, um, it, and it may be good for some people, but have there been issues there where you can track somebody down, you can literally find them? Oh, totally. Absolutely. And of course, it's also a security issue with your home. Like, you're not home, right? So what I often recommend to clients is that they post, when they're on a business trip, they post photos when they return from the trip. So that, you know, oh, hey, I just had a great time in Hong Kong. And you can share the photos or updates then, but you're already home and people aren't knowing where you are at that exact moment. That makes a lot of good sense. It makes a lot of good sense. Mm -hmm. So in your career, in, in doing the things that you're doing, what's been some of the obstacles that you've overcome, you know, maybe a big one that you've overcome in, in getting to where you're at today? Absolutely. So my age was first and foremost the biggest challenge. Uh, at time, not so much. I think there were other young reporters that it wasn't off-putting. But when I came to Chicago, back to Chicago in 2009, I created a website called Chicago Now, uh, and it was my idea along with the digital editor of the Tribune, and ultimately Tribune hired me to launch this million-dollar website, and I was 24 years old. And uh, many of the meetings, I think, began with, I'm sorry, how old are you? Because <laughs> I probably looked like I was 17. And here I am, you know, essentially with the digital editor running this new website. Uh, so I think I made a lot of mistakes at Chicago now in that because I was so aware that I was so young, I overcompensated for it and act really bossy, like really bossy. I know we don't like the word bossy now as women entrepreneurs, thanks to Cheryl Sandberg, and she's right, but I was really bossy. <laughs> and, you know, I annoyed a lot of people, and I really regret that. You know, I had direct reports that were in their 30s, and I think they had every right to be annoyed with me. Uh, but, you know, now, as I'm older, I realize, like, okay, well, you know, you're going to make some mistakes, especially when you're 24 running a massive website. So, say la vie. So, it was a good life lesson. So what would you have done differently in that situation? Uh, you know, it, honestly, I think it was a bad fit for me. I think that I was too young to be running that website then in that way. Uh, and I just didn't have the emotional intelligence to be able to handle it, especially because the Tribune was bankrupt. There were more layoffs around us all the time. It was just a really, really ugly situation. Uh, and so, unfortunately, I just don't think it was the right fit. Uh, you know, if I had to do it over again, I think I would have really focused on being a team player on, you know, really defining my role and then having more mentoring support to learn how to manage people because I had never been trained to manage people and I was managing people who were older than me. Um, and it was a really complicated situation. Yeah, I, that's one of the things in business that even if you go, you know, you get your MBA or whatever, it, it just doesn't seem like we teach others how to manage 
And, and I work in a lot of sales organizations and they take their best salespeople and make them managers. And it doesn't, they're really great salespeople, but it doesn't actually mean that they're going to be good managers. In fact, it, it almost rarely is. They, they have to have that mentoring. So I think it's interesting that, that you said that because I see that all the time. It's like, well, just because she's really smart doesn't mean that she's going to be able to manage other people as, as good as we need or as well as we need her to. Totally, completely, 100%. <laughs> so now what I do when I see young uh, women coming up in their 20s, I, you know, I really try to reach out to them and mentor them. And, and I found at Crane, where I was the social media director for three years, there were several millennial women that were probably a few years behind me, and they were very promising as well. So I would just, you know, have weekly check-ins with them. And it, it was in large way just kind of like girlfriends getting together because it was just like, okay, like, let's just talk through your week. Like, what are some things that you're struggling with? And it was just helpful to them to be able to talk it out with somebody that they, you know, I think respected and also but saw similar to them. Because when I was at Tribune, I didn't have anybody that looked like me. You know, everybody was significantly older than me. So I really struggled to figure out, well, where's my path? Who do, who do I follow through this craziness? So I really try to help other young women that are just right behind me. Right. And I think that's amazing because it is so needed. And a lot of times, um, and it sounds like you were in the same position. I mean, we don't always reach out for other people. And it sounds like you were sort of reaching out to them as a mentor, um, which I, I think is really valuable for, for younger women. We think we've got to be strong and we're supposed to know all these things, but we really, we really need some, we really need help um, and, and mentoring and just support and someone that's just going to listen. So, mm -hmm. but, Totally. In your, so in your position at the Tribune and other positions, I, I know you mentioned that you were, you were young and that was a differentiator for you. But what about being a woman? Was there a lot of other females around that, that you could identify with or what, what was that like for you? Oh, it was hard. Um, you know, at one of the companies I was at, I had some issues of sexual harassment for sure. And um, that was really, truly difficult because I was young. Um, I had my whole career ahead of me. And I didn't want that to hold me back. Um, I, I mean, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to make waves is what I'm trying to say. I didn't want people to think that I was making this up or exaggerating, but it was a real issue. Uh, and unfortunately, I really struggled to overcome that in the minute, in that moment. And then I also really struggled to deal with that in the years after. Um, finally, I can, you know, I can just say publicly, I had to go to a lot of therapy to just figure out what happened and how that traumatized me and, you know, figure out, you know, what do I do differently to prevent that situation from occurring in the future and how can I start to help both young women and young men who have faced that situation as well. Unbelievable. Uh, wow. And, and I think that because I've heard and I've actually talked with women who have been not in your exact situation, but something, you know, similar perhaps has happened. And there's a lot of blame on ourselves that happens. Like we, it must've been something that I did and it, um, it's, it's not that. And so I'm glad that you went and, and got the, the counseling and, and all that, because it's something that is, um, that needs to be dealt with. So you don't look at that and go, I, you know, I failed in this particular situation. It might have had absolutely nothing to do um, with, with how you reacted in the situation. Oh, totally. I blame myself for years, years because of that. Like, oh, it was because I wore this thing that one day or, oh, I was in this place at that time and I was just asking for it. Like, 
all of the cliche things that you read about, I totally believed them. And now in hindsight, I'm like, no, that's crap. Like, yeah. no, no. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, unbelievable. I'm sorry that that happened. Uh, but like everything that happens, you know, you sharing it with others that, that, you know, can possibly help them think through that. And so thank you for that. But, uh, so how can people reach you at Socially Authentic? What are, uh, you know, your um, social media handles and your website and things like that? Yeah. So my website is sociallyauthentic.com. Uh, and then my Twitter handle is Tracy Samantha, so T-R-A-C-Y Samantha. And then uh, you can just Google Tracy Samantha Schmidt and find all of my social media accounts. And my email is just Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at sociallyauthentic.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for participating in the Female Red Zone call today. I think that I know that there um, there's a lot of information that you shared that's both inspiring and helpful, and, and I appreciate you taking your time today to, to join us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.